This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 222 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. This episode is sponsored by Kentucky Performance Products and Equisketch. This is Lindsay McCall from Jupiter, Florida. And this is Ellie Brimmer from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show brought to you this week by the United States Paraquestrian Association. Reese and Philip will be back with us next week. This week we have coming up our guests are Dr. Mike Tomlinson, who is an FBI vet who works for the United States Paraquestrian Association, and Kai Hunt an FBI trainer and rider for um, his North Texas Equestrian Center. And he is he trains a couple of para-riders, including the late Jonathan Wentz. So what's new with you, Ellie? Um, what have you been doing? Well, well, I had a competition this weekend. Um, it went really well. I actually um, I qualified for um, regional championships for second-level adult amateur Um which I was really pleased with. I wasn't, um, I wasn't expecting, but I was happy to have that, especially because it was against able-bodied riders. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that was great. I'm not actually going to go to regionals, but, um, but I'm really glad I made that accomplishment. Um, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's great. Thanks. I know you've been working really hard lately up there in Michigan. So, shown much this summer so it was nice to have um it was nice to have a really good show at the closing of the season and now we can um we can unwind for a little bit and then before we know it we'll start gearing up for florida again this next Uh, winter yeah i know those dates everything's kind of been um solidified i know what wellington is march 13th through the 16th now for our west dressage classic Yep, that's been um, provisionally approved, and yes. um, I'm really, I'm looking forward to getting in, getting in front of those judges again. So um, it'll be great. I already have my my rental all booked, and I've got a friend that's staying with me, and I have a feeling it'll be a really fun winter. I'm really excited. Well, I'm excited because you'll get to be right here and we can go to Backstreet, our favorite place to eat in Wellington. We wanted to mention everything that was, I guess, solidified for the Paradise Training Symposium. We're going to be doing mm-hmm. that symposium again. Um, November 20th is the Train the Trainer. Yep. And November 21st through the 23rd is the Rider Symposium. And you and I both went there last year and you went as a rider. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the one in Maine? I loved it. You know, um, I borrowed a horse, and so that's a completely, it was a good experience to ride something that was totally um, new to me. And what's really um, even more valuable than the actual riding and instruction is the um, the connections you make with the other riders and trainers, because um, we are a scattered group um, throughout the country, and so it's really nice to be able to um to interact and pair with other para riders in a non-competition setting and really learn from one another. 
And I, I think it was great for a lot of the trainers that maybe had not had any paradressage training prior to this. And they really came mm-hmm. into this and really can understand how to use a different cage, how to work with their rider that is a paradressage rider. So I think it was great for the trainers as well. So I hope we have a lot of people sign up for that. And that will be in Absolutely. California. Oh, and the other exciting thing I know you know about, the Chef de Keep applications. I know the applications are closing on September 5th for the new Chef de Keep mm-hmm. for, our, for our team. So I hope we get yeah. a lot of applications from some really great trainers. Yeah, it's um, it's an exciting time to be involved in paradressage, and I, I hope that there's some people out there that will consider putting themselves forward. We're going to throw it to commercial for the... Con- Tucky Performance Product. We'll be back with um, Dr. Mike Tomlinson. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. Commercial feeds are fortified with nutrients such as proteins, vitamins, and minerals. They are made up of a variety of ingredients that provide a particular amount of energy. Most feeds have been designed to address the needs of a certain type of horse. It is important to understand that all feeds are formulated by nutritionists to be fed in specific amounts. When the correct amount of feed is provided, the horse consumes the appropriate amount of energy and nutrients. The feeding directions included on the feed bag or the feed tag are specific to the particular feed and should be followed. When you feed less than the recommended amount of feed, your horse is not getting the full complement of nutrients that he or she may need. On the other hand, too much of a good thing can also be bad. The overfeeding of concentrates can lead to grain overload and oversupplementation, and feed should never be cut or mixed with other fortified feeds or plain grains because this changes the nutrient profile and can cause imbalances in energy, protein, vitamins, and minerals. If you need to include additional supplements in your horse's diet, choose products that are formulated to complement, not compete with fortified feeds. If you feed a plain grain such as oats, additional fortification may be necessary. Kentucky Performance Products supplements are specifically designed to complement, not compete with the modern concentrates used by today's horse owners. Each supplement is manufactured to exacting standards in certified facilities using stringent quality control guidelines. So choose Kentucky Performance Product Supplements because the horse that matters to you matters to them. Learn more about Kentucky Performance Product Supplements at kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. We'll be talking with Dr. Mike Tomlinson. He's an FEI vet. Um, I've known him over the years through his work um, at a lot of our paraquestrian um, CPEDI three-star competitions here in the United States and um, also through his work with the United States Paraquestrian Association. Uh, welcome, Dr. Mike. How are you doing? Thank you. It's a beautiful day here in Southern California. So um, why we wanted to have you on the show today is um, now that 
kind of the summer season is starting to wind down and people are um are looking forward to the to the winter and our upcoming um paraquestrian CPEDIs. We always get um get some newcomers and some people that have been around for a little while like me. Um but it's always good to know what uh, what the expectation is from a vet perspective going into an FEI competition. Um, what are some common mistakes you see from people who are going into an international competition for the first time, um, paperwork-wise and things like that? Well, I would say that the two most common misconceptions are that uh, as far as the horse, that this is a totally different event. And in reality, as far as the horse is concerned, they don't care whether it's a backyard event or a Olympics. Um, they're just doing their job. The other mm-hmm. misconception is that uh, things are uh, pretty much the same. I just, I've been doing the same thing, so I'll keep doing the same thing. And that works for the horse, but uh, for the rider, it doesn't because an international competition has a whole lot more requirements and a whole lot higher expectations on the rider. For sure. We know that. Um, I I wish we could give more opportunities in the U.S. to have these international competitions, but uh, we'll take what we can get. What are what are some of the requirements of the riders that you kind of are you're mentioning there? Well, some of the the, uh, the most common mistakes would be that uh, many people come to a three star, an international FEI, uh, concours, Paralympic equestrian or para equestrian. Dressage International, a CPEDI, three-star, they come to them thinking that um, they've been to a one-star, they've been to some other ones, so they're doing just fine. They've got an, a, a USEF passport, so everything's good. What people need to realize is this is not a United States event. Even though it is held mm-hmm. in the United States, it is an international event. And for an international event, you need an international passport. And that would be a purple or red FEI passport, not Mm -hmm. a breed registration or a national passport. That would be the most Mm -hmm. common paperwork issue that I see. Do you ever see any issues with, I guess, the actual jog? Do you ever see any problems there where some people just don't know how to properly jog their horses in international competition, or is there something you don't see? Well, uh, what we call the jog here, what is called the trot-up in many of the other English-speaking thing, and I'm sure lots of people call it something else, too, but we can't mention that on a radio show, Uh, (laughs) is where we first look at the horse trotting or jogging down the path and back. And this is only done at the uh, higher international events as far as dressage. Other disciplines do it. Uh, endurance does it down to the local level. Uh, jumpers try never to do it. So um, mm-hmm. it is not something that is taught to many, many, many people. So for the first time in their life, 
for the first time for their horse quite often, they come to an international event and go, oh no, what am I supposed to do? And they think, oh, this is easy. I just trot down, I trot back, and everything's wonderful. The most important thing for international competitors to do is to train themselves and train their horse at home so it's not a new event when they come to a CPEDF. Just so um, some of our newer people at home that know, which I thought was a very interesting fact, when um, the horse is being jogged, it's not the vet that makes the um, the lameness decision. It's the um, the president of the ground jury as to whether or not the horse passes the jog. In dressage, the only at in dressage at uh, a CPEDI or a CDI, the veterinarian is not authorized mm-hmm. to eliminate the horse at any time. However, mm-hmm. the ground jury is required to take the advice of the uh, uh, veterinarian. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's where you start getting into some gray areas. If the vet goes, well, you know, I'd kind of like it to be eliminated, and the ground jury goes, nah, I don't need to. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of interplay there, but the president of the ground jury is the only one who has mm-hmm. the authority to eliminate a horse. In a dressage event, the other person is the judge at sea, whoever that may be has the authority uh-huh. to do so. But those are the only two people. Yeah. Before I learned that, I'd gone, I'd gone into it with the assumption that because the vet is standing there, that the vet was the one who was making the call. But, um, of course, the judges take your advice into account, or at least we hope. Well, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But uh, <laughs> the, yeah. that's, that's the game. Kind of what's the craziest thing he's ever seen at, at one of those at, during a jog? Can you tell us any neat experiences? Huh. Uh, crazy things at the jog. Well, you know, we had lots of scary things where uh, the horses are trying to kick it at the judges, where the horses, uh, probably the scariest one was a, uh, a horse that was uh, jogging a very well-known, very uh, accomplished trainer down the way and kept pushing him towards the fence and the fence was only about three feet high and about halfway down the horse just knocked the rider over and then the horse followed him over the fence so uh, yeah (laughs) lots of things occur at these uh it used to be luckily we've gotten the the attire a little better regulated it used to be that uh uh we used to say that the less clothes that the person who is jogging is wearing, the more likely the horse is lame. So, uh, but uh, the, the thing for most uh, CPEDI uh, competitors to understand is that this is typically the first time for the ground jury to see them. And they need to make a very good first impression. And that first mm-hmm. impression is made when they walk up or come up in a wheelchair or somehow how they are presented and how they present themselves. And so dress is very important at the jog. And so uh, some of the wilder things I've seen would be some uh, people who look more like they should be a spectator at uh, uh, the Kentucky Derby um, you mm-hmm. know, with a beautiful hat and high heels. 
uh, it's amazing what people try to jog their horse in. I had one this last weekend who looked like he was in a trench coat, um, you know, uh, a spy coming out from spy versus spy. Uh, so uh, you see most everything at the jog. That's now, so funny. <laughs> yeah. Now, now the other piece of what you do is um, is the in that most people recognize is the in barn inspection. Um, can you go over um, what you're looking for when you do that? Well, certainly. Uh, just so to back up a little so people know the chronology of, of my yeah. duties there would be prior to the event, I work with the uh, organizing committee to make sure everything is safe and that everybody will be healthy before they get there. Then the first thing mm-hmm. I do when I get there is to examine all of the horses to make certain that they are healthy that they do Mm -hmm. not have a contagious disease and that their passport matches the horse who is there. Part of that is to verify that they have been properly vaccinated for influenza. And Mm -hmm. that is required to be done before the first inspection, which we discussed earlier, which is the jog. Mm -hmm. And then once the jog is over, then I am at the show, I'm ringside or at the end gate for the entire rest of the show to make certain that the welfare of the horse is paramount, that um, if there is in dressage, one of the big things right now is blood. And so uh, if any horse shows any sign of blood, I'm there to go, yep, that's blood. Let's see, red stuff leaking from inside the horse. Huh, it could be Kool-Aid. Nope, nope, it's blood. Sorry. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know why a veterinarian is required to say that the red stuff is blood, but it's always good to have a vet say that. Um, of course. Yeah. And do you know what the most dangerous part of a dressage event, where more horses are injured than at any other time? Mm-hmm. No, tell me. It's, it's at the honor round. It's where oh, that makes sense. everybody gets to turn their dressage horse loose and they're all excited and happy and the horses get all excited and happy and it's the first time they've been let loose in months and they try and play bumper ponies and kill each other. So, yes. Uh, so. Um, what do you do, Mike, when there is such as like a lameness halfway through the competition? What, what do you go through? What's the process when you see that as a vet? Well, it, it depends exactly when it happens. If it happens in the arena, then I, all I can do is sit there at the hint gate just anxiously hoping that the horse makes it through, and then when it comes out, examine it. But if it happens at any other point, then I have to examine it right at that, at that moment and try to figure out what is the best for the horse. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, by that would be if it's a uh, leg lameness, I try and figure out what's going on with the leg. We do whatever is, is best for the horse, and then we backfill with the paperwork and try and make sure everything is safe from there. Uh, and, mm-hmm. of course, that leads to what can you do for the horse. Well, we can do whatever we want for the horse because the horse is the most important thing, and then we... The next step is to see what's fair for the competition, and that includes the medication rules. And for FEI events, there's basically a zero tolerance of medications in horses. Uh, 
mm-hmm. at the FEI level, we just do not have the the uh, drug issues that uh, the national uh, federation is mm-hmm. currently having. My last question, because this one um, always concerns me as a competitor, um, the FEI drug rules are a lot more stringent than USCF, and I'm always um, trying to be very conscientious about every single product that I use to make sure that nothing could um, cause a positive um, test result. Um, what do you have for advice for people that are looking to make sure their their products are safe that they're using on their horses before they go into an FEI competition? Eight zero zero six three three two four seven two. That's one eight hundred med HSA. And what yeah, that I, is uh, oh it and it is free for every USCF mm-hmm. member and obviously if you're at the FEI level you're in the USCF member. And call mm-hmm. them up, tell them what you're doing, tell them what you're giving or what you want to give, and they will give you a correct answer. They are the people who do the testing. They are the ones who run the lab. They know these things inside and out. That's all they do. And um, fabulous resource. I use them about once a week. But you oh, no. somebody always on the line all the time at, at that phone number. 24-7. Well, thank you so much for uh, for being on, Dr. Mike, and I uh, I hope to see you again at another competition soon. Definitely my pleasure. Right after this commercial for Equisketch, we'll be speaking with Kai Hunt, who is an FEI trainer and rider of North Texas Equestrian Center. And Kai Hunt is, well, like I said, from the North Texas Equestrian Center. He plays many roles. He's an FEI trainer, FEI rider. He was also a horse owner of one of our Paralympic riders' horses, Jonathan Wentz's horses. And uh, you'll notice Kai, is uh, he has a German accent. He's originally from Germany, and he earned his German National Federation license in 1981. So, And then he came over to the U.S. and began the, his training, the North Texas Equestrian Center. And he now trains many people, has many national champions, and I know he specializes in the young riders. And for us, for the paradressage riders, he's done a lot with our riders, getting them ready for competition. And like I said, he was Jonathan Wentz's coach and trainer for the last four years. So I'm excited to speak with him and hear what he's been doing lately. Glenn the Geek here. The life of horse person is hard enough, and we all hate doing the required paperwork, and unfortunately many of us never get around to it, and it just piles up on our desk. That is about to change thanks to the Equisketch Records app for your iPhone or iPad. My wife and I use it to track our horses, and we absolutely love this thing. Equisketch Records is the most thorough and complete equestrian records app on the market today. We love this app because you can track your farrier work, your dental, your Coggins, medicines, worming, and so much more. And you can get reminders on your device when all of these things are due. You'll never forget a worming or shots or farrier visit again. But it not only tracks your horse, you can also manage your horse shows, including individual events. You can manage riders, including lessons and memberships, and so much more. And you can sync it between your iPhone and your iPad, and all of this for the price of a couple of cups of coffee from Starbucks. 
Search for EquiSketch Records in the iOS App Store or go to EquiSketch.com. That's E-Q-U-I-S-K-E-T-C-H.com. EquiSketch.com. All right, Kai, thanks for coming on the show today. And where are you right now? What are you doing? I'm home this week for once. You're home till Friday, <laughs> and on Sunday, we're competing in Houston. Next year, I'm taking three power riders into Houston for their first shows. Oh, wow. And oh. what pair riders are you taking? Um, we, take, um, uh, we take the U.S. veteran, Derek, that we started up this year. So he's going to do a mm-hmm. second show this year. We try him on a new horse. We're trying to find a new horse and to get more competitive for next year. So Derek is going to show. Then we're going to take uh, Ben, which was one of our upcoming young riders. He's going to do his first yep. competition. And I'm going to take Roxy, who was up at the um, seminar in Maine, too. And we're going to try her out on the new horse. Oh, wow. Great. How exciting. I didn't know. She must have traveled all the way there from Washington, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They come into my place. We have a few coming in here and there. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a good thing right now. We have a bunch of very new, exciting young riders coming up. And there's a the program mm-hmm. we need. It, so it's a good thing to have some younger people in the sport now and start with mm-hmm. a little bit of clean slate and some new riders coming up and start building a team from the ground up and get some new people in the sport and interested, which will hopefully attract more young mm-hmm. riders and then you try to attract more U.S. veterans too, with Derek being a good ambassador for the sport. You know? Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. so important. We had Derek on the show, actually, just a, a few months ago, and he talked a little bit about the veterans getting involved, but that is so important and to, to address that. And we really we would love to get our veterans more involved. So as we get ready and we're kind of getting ready for WIG in this next year, what kind of schedule? I know you're. this is very common for you. You're used to this. What kind of schedule should a rider and horse be on as they're preparing for this international competition in one year? Well, you know, that's the thing for, for a new person or somebody that's not really used to international competitions. They have to really change their program or get their program adjusted. If you want to be an Olympic rider or WAG rider, you know, I'm, my personal people train six to seven days a week. Know, that train out here. Mm-hmm. So I think they need to do as much mm-hmm. riding as they possibly can, and then we put them on an interval program too. That they have to do, um, you know, it depends really on the handicap. Um, but we put mm-hmm. them on programs so that they swim or do some extra sports on the side. You know, you know, riding mm-hmm. is not the best thing for everybody's body. So we're trying to keep them fit. We put them on a fitness program. They do, ex- they do lots of swimming, lots of exercise like that. You know. So you got to mm-hmm. be mentally and, and physically fit to compete in competition like that. You know, travel is exhausting, and everything to do is even more exhausting for a power rider. You know, they have so much, so many more challenges going out there. So you want to make very sure they're mentally and physically prepared for that kind of, you know, for that kind of strenuous, strenuous competition. Yeah. So I, rec- I recommend for the people they want to go. They, I mean, they should be on the program by now. Be ready to do the, you know, selection trials next year and compete in the CBDI, CBDIs. We get coming up in Florida and California and I don't know who else, but it's going to come up in the spring. I think we're trying to get some more. And how do you offset any issues with, I guess, with you were talking about travel and with a horse in particular, how do you offset the issues of of travel fatigue on a horse? Because you're used to shipping the horses internationally. What do you guys do to prepare for that? Well, that's, you know, that's just one of the things. By the time you compete in WEG, in an ideal situation, you ride a seasoned horse, that is valued to international or big travel. So, I mean, you look at the you look at the Olympic jumper riders or any of the international riders. I mean, they're a different continent every month. So, so those mm-hmm. horses are used to that. They travel. The traveling has gotten very sophisticated these years. You know, so it's not like they're like some bumpy old airplane flying around there for weeks and weeks and travel by boat or something like that. They go on a plane in the airport ten hours. 
the over in Europe and yeah. then, you know, then pick mm-hmm. a deal for a seasoned horse. If you have a horse mm-hmm. that's not used to it, then it's a little bit different story. That means you need more time to acclimatize the horse. You want to be there a month early in an ideal situation, you know. You would like to go to yeah. Europe a month early, especially in the summertime. If you come from Texas, it's 110 degrees, and you go up there, that's, that's, a, that's a big shock on the system of the horse. Mm-hmm. So you probably want to make sure that your horse is well-traveled, has done lots of competitions prior to going, then maybe has a little bit of rest, is in good shape. I mean, rest from traveling, not rest from exercise. And then go over right. and try to get there as early as you possibly can to acclimatize the horse. You know? Yeah, that's really smart. Um, Now, this is a big undertaking, not just physically and emotionally, but it's also um, a big financial undertaking. Um, And I know um, that how do you how do you suggest that riders seek out sponsors and support? (laughs) Since I'm one of the sponsors for one of the last Olympic riders. Um, I know how they picked me out. They just came to my door and said, hey, we need somebody sponsored for the Olympics. And I mentioned that I love looking for one like that too. Um, it's hard to find sponsors right now. I mean, I'm dealing with lots of parents. That's the first question that's always come. It's a very expensive sport. you got to have a big, hairy animal that eats, drinks, and chews and transport everything else. you got to ship it all over the world. You know, you got to compete on it. So it's, it's, it's a big big financial strain on, you know, the competitor or the family. Um Mm-hmm. The one thing you've got to be prepared to do, you have to show something that people will sponsor you. Huh? You cannot go out and have mm-hmm. nothing, have nothing competed, have nothing done anything, have a big dream, and then think that somebody's going to go out there and give you vast amounts of money or horses, whatever else, to compete. So I would recommend for anybody, the first thing you've got to do is write yourself a good portfolio, um, get yourself on Facebook, get yourself busy with USPEA, volunteer, get out there, get your face known, and hope that you find yourself a horse somewhere that you can compete on and then work your tail off and get competitive. Sponsors mm-hmm. like winners. You know? So if you, mm-hmm. have the, if you have the desire to do this and you don't have the financial possibilities, find yourself some kind of way to get yourself competition and just work hard anybody else does, you'll compete well too. You know? And at that point, if you have a portfolio you can show to some sponsors, they will sponsor you. But if you don't compete and you don't go out anywhere, nobody's going to sponsor you because sponsors are looking for exposure. Uh, and there's no exposure and you cannot provide anything. So you're going to have a very hard time finding somebody, uh, especially in this mm-hmm. day and age. Uh. You and I were at the at the Developing Rider Clinic in Maine, and there were um, and there were quite a few new riders, some of which you've mentioned are going to come work with you in Texas. What do you think of these um, these new riders that are coming up through the ranks? But I'm I'm really excited to be getting a bunch of younger riders in the sport now. You know, I think I'm always, you know, I, I'm doing young riders now. I think I've been now in North American Young Riders, uh, I think, ninth time in a row. You know? So we always mm-hmm. train a lot of young riders for the FEI competitions. We always had a large, very large amount of kids riding in the barn. And I was always a big supporter of the Young Rider program. You know, we have a very good young rider coach now. That program works, that, uh, not, uh, that program works really well now, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the little mm-hmm. coach out there gets the kids excited. He has a good program going out, and I think we need the same thing for Para too, because you got you can't cut yourself on your feet. You need a base, and your base is young people. Young people are excited mm-hmm. about the sport. They're winning. They jump on a bit. They want to go out. They want to compete. They want to do something, and that will grow your sport because you have long-time competitors out there. They can compete for the next 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and become seasoned mm-hmm. veteran good riders if they start younger in the program. You know? 
and I'm I'm really happy mm-hmm. about so many new young kids out there competing now. Plus, they're going to attract more kids. You know, if you get a broader exposure and there's more advertising with children out there or young riders out there competing, that will get you more uh, riders on the basis on there. Now, I had a long discussion with Clyde from England about that, and he said at their national finals, they have 600 riders. Uh, and mm-hmm. they start wow. at the age, but they have a huge program for four, five, six-year-olds. Why do you think the British are beating everybody all the time? You know? They start with these kids when they're six years old. They have cones in the arena. The kids ride, they ride a 10-meter circle. It's a 10-meter circle. They ride a corner. It's a corner. They ride very precise from day one on. They have a very structured program. They have a huge kids program. Out of that, they pick their top international riders in the end. You know? So I'm, I'm pretty happy about seeing that our program is growing in that direction. You know? Yeah, I agree. I'm glad to see so much more interest in the young riders. And do you see a difference since you train, you mentioned you've trained so many teams, the young rider teams over the years. Do you see a difference in training um, an able-bodied young dressage rider versus the para-dressage young rider? Well, I mean, the, you know, you have to all the, you know, have all the challenges the para rider has. You know, there's a, it is a, uh, the trainers need to understand there's a huge difference between training a para rider to training an able-bodied rider. On an able-bodied mm-hmm. rider, you look for equitation. You know, I mean, my riders won equitation championships twice. You know, so right. you look for equitation. You want people to set profit on a horse, good position, supple hips, supple hands. But if you have a one A or one B rider, you don't have that. You know, these are no. extremely challenged riders. They have maybe like you know, Charles had zero hip movement for one thing, as an example. So you got to put these people in a position that they can stay on a horse, and then you got to work from that. On a power rider, you kind of find a way how they can balance and work themselves on the horse in the ideal situation. They can stay up there and ski and control the horse and ride this test. Then after they can do that and they can ride a precise test, whichever position it takes to put them up there, you know, then you can start refining him and fine-tune the whole thing to make it look better. You know? But if you're looking at a totally different program with something has a leg missing or no use of a leg or an arm or, or forget a blind rider or something like that. You know? So the, the, whole, mm-hmm. the whole approach from the coach has to be totally different. You know? You got to first see mm-hmm. how you can put this horse, the person on a horse, use his aids, use his dispensation aids, everything to make him the most effective he can be on a horse. That's probably the best way of putting it. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a um, different story. You know, if, a young, if you have a young rider on a program, they ride FEI. It means they already know how to ride a very high level of sport. It means you're working more on getting the horse right because you expect that rider already to be a good rider at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, Kai, um, Jonathan and um, Richter were such a great match, even though, um, you know, Richter wasn't exactly your, your classical um, dressage horse. What do, you, um, what do you look for when you're matching a horse-rider well, combination? You know, you need to always see what you want to do in the first place. Would you, do you want a national-level power rider or would you want an international-level power rider, right? And I think that's mm-hmm. one thing where the program is you split up a little bit because people, they want to compete nationally, have like a national final right on the local level, or people they want to go to WEG, Olympics, you know, maybe Pan Am Games one day, maybe North American Young Riders one day. That's where you got to split it up. You know, for us now, I mostly train competition riders right now. Um, the para world, you don't need a super, super big moving horse. You know, horse with very mm-hmm. good basic gates. You know, obviously with the 1A, 1B, and 2, you got to have also the fantastic walk because most of their tests is walk. They do a lot of walk work. You've got to have a very good walk on a horse, and the horse has to maintain that walk, even with a rider that may interfere here and there. You know, pull on the reins, get some spasm up there, get unstable, 
Ted Horses walk. And that was Rick that was really good about it. He had a fantastic walk. You know, super active, mm -hmm. great overstep, free walk, stretches nose down, really good. And then you got to have a super mm -hmm. rhythmic active trot. You know, they got to, these horses got to go like metronomes. And that's what the para judges want to see. They're less, con they, they're less concerned about super big gates, but they're very concerned about a very good connection and a very steady, very rhythmic, and very engaged performance in the ring. So for a para rider, the key thing is to find first a horse that will tolerate the para up there, whichever you put on there, you know, and second to find something that goes very rhythmic, very active, and very steady to the test. Um, which this is more this is most true for like the ones and the twos, the threes they write a second level test almost it gets a little bit more into a performance horse. The grade four is a different story. At a grade four they want an FEI horse. You know? Right. Horse in the in the pre Saint George frame, going FEI, doing a fantastic trot, fantastic walk, fantastic mechanical, very connected. The four is a little bit different category, you know. And I, you mentioned at the Paralympics, you were a, I mean, you were the main coach for Jonathan. And I was wondering, I noticed you had four individual coaches where you were coaching John, um, Wes was coaching Donna, and Roz was coaching Gail, and you had these four coaches coaching their own riders. How did you guys work together as a team to, I guess, to address trying to get a medal? Well, we had, you know, we had, we had a national coach with us, Missy, as chef to keep, keep with us, so she was in charge of everything, you know? Right. So I think, right. in a, I think at the Olympics this time, everybody pretty much did a little bit their own thing, you know? <clears throat> and we just mm -hmm. got overseen by Missy doing that whole, doing that whole program there. And I mean, obviously by the time you go to the Olympics, everybody knows what they're doing, you know? Um, right. I coached, I coached the U.S. I was chef to keep one time in, um, Mexico when you won the Nations Cup. And um, we had team meetings every day out there, you know. So we had a team meeting every day. We had a debrief every day after the show, you know. So, and mm -hmm. I worked with some of the other coaches together. It needs to be, like, overseen. Somebody just needs to talk to the coaches a little bit. You cannot train the, you cannot train the individual students because they coach with their coach, which makes it a bit difficult, you know. Most of the European mm -hmm. teams have a head coach, and they take care of everything. They coach the cast, they coach the riders and everything else. In the U.S., yeah. due to the you know geographical uh, big as this country is, it's very difficult to have just one coach coach everybody. You know, right. you got to have somebody out there can go out there and oversee these coaches, talk to them, have a good relationship with them, and just give them some tips and help them out there. Here, maybe you try this, try this. You know, hopefully it works. If it doesn't work, you look really bad. Um, yeah. And and try to oversee it in that kind of situation. Oversee the coaches, and I think what we need to try to do is establish a better relationship with the coaches over the year before we go to competitions. Mm -hmm. And all the coaches need to know mm -hmm. each other. You want to have like the training seminar at the main was a very good thing that the coaches can talk to each other. You can see each other. You can see who, you know, who works well together with each other and that they all have a certain respect for each other, work together to try to get a good team competition out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's very important. So I yeah. guess what are what are you seeing for us for the future? What do we need to do to get on the medal podium this next mm -hmm. year? Okay, next year. Um, or right in a couple think, years, perhaps. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, right now, um, the, I think we had a very good showing at the Olympics. You know, I mean, obviously we had the fourth and the fifth place at the Olympics. We got a little bit out of the team competition. You know, it was very close. Mm -hmm. The team competition it wasn't that far apart. Um, I don't know how many riders from the actual Olympics are still active at this point. You know, I think, I mean, I know Rebecca is still showing, who's a very strong rider for years and years and years, was multiple-time national champion, 
There's lots of short mm-hmm. students. She's kind of like the senior riders out there. So the Becca mm-hmm. is a very good rider. Um, I don't know what the other riders are doing right now. You know, they have lots of yeah. horse problems. So, so we don't. I haven't seen much as far as the team competition coming up or us having a team for the way act together yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope something yeah. is developing in the spring. Um, now, I obviously will work on getting some people out there, but I think we kind of, as far as the nation, we're in kind of a rebuilding phase right now, and we have some very good young talent coming up. So I would think that we're going to be uh, very likely competitive in the next three, four years. For next year, I don't know what we're going to have for work yet. Mm-hmm. You obviously have a yeah. couple of seasoned people out there. But we have a couple of very young people coming up, and I don't know how far they're going to be in the spring by the time we have the CPDIs coming up in the spring as far as competition mm-hmm. goes. I'm I'm working really hard right now getting some horses found for some of the riders so they can find mm-hmm. some sponsors, find some horses, find something to get them out there. But it's a very short time right now to get something ready. You know, obviously the Europeans are up on their game right now. You know, I mean, they, they just had a competition in England. They were scoring all in their high 70s, you know, in the 80s. And um, we don't have anything like that running right now. You know, you've got to be yeah. a little realistic about what you have. And once more, you have to, I think you have to take a step back, organize your program at home, and start back up and get something going. And you can say, okay, now we have some people we can work with three, four, five, six, ten years and have something very competitive coming out for the next Olympics. Mm-hmm. Well, Kai, you're so involved with the, with our para riders and our young riders and I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your experiences and in your all of your information with us so thank you oh, you're welcome Ellie I know we need to give a shout out to our, our great British team because they did quite well at those European championships yeah um, they, they they really cleaned up um, and also um, there were a few individuals from some other countries that did really well um like Pepo Pooch um, from Austria. I know he was one of our favorites. He's a 1B. Um, yeah. So I was, ha- I was happy to see him do so well. Um, but it, it was exciting. Um, I, hope to, I hope I can catch up with it on FEI TV. I haven't catched if it's available yet. So um, Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen it there yet. I know that I saw a press release go out, but I haven't, have not seen it there yet. Maybe it is. All right. Oh, and also, um, we should mention Lindsay. I know we had a parapetrian um, driving clinic in August that you were um, that we were promoting, and I've, I've heard some feedback from some people that went to it, and they just had a wonderful time. So um, I hope our parapetrian driver drivers have some exciting new competitors in their ranks. <laughs> Yeah, we we know Hope Handen actually went over there and started para driving, mm-hmm. and her and Lisa Miller, who is also you know part of our para dressage program, they have decided now that they're going to get a pony and they're going to start driving. So we're very excited that and, they went to this clinic because I think they found a new love. <laughs> That's fabulous. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on the website at dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search for Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. You can learn more about the United States Para Equestrian Association at USPEA.org and, of course, on Facebook. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com or on the iOS or Android app. Remember, one man's wrong lead is another man's counter-canner.